Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I gotta say something. One of the maddest times I ever got was I was on tour... And I went in, I think, I mean, it was one of the reasons I was probably mad. It's like one of two times in my life I've eaten at a Quiznos, which is horrible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if oh, you've dude. ever had, I don't no, know why they the toast Like, oh, let's put mayo and lettuce on something, then heat it in the uh, oven. It's the dumbest shit. I've had but, it like once and it was so horrible. I was, same. I could never so I'm in back. this place. I'm not liking it. And I think I go to refill my drink and some ladies just like. Says something about my pants being low and like my butt being out or something. <laughs> I got so mad for this like unsolicited opinion about my clothes that I really I was super rude to her. You know, Ooh. I was like, oh, cool. Thanks. Thanks for that <laughs> advice. I'm like, what do you like to wear? And I really like I think I was just mad about hot mayo, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Hot mayo, wilted uh, lettuce, and hot mayo quiz. Oh, uh, really I was bad. I was hungry. Imagine there's places not. in America like people think that's a sub, you know? Yeah, like they actually uh, think that's like something you should eat. That right yeah. there is the is the sin of it all. See, I bet Scott Vogel's known about that because he made the move from Buffalo to California, so I think he lost like like Buffalo. You know, I'm not saying Buffalo dining is top notch. You know, I've been there a bunch, but some good greasy spoon, a nice hearty yeah. sandwich, some stuff like that. Like, that's great in Buffalo. You can and you get can't a, do that. No, you can get a good blue plate special in Buffalo for sure. Oh, yeah. Give me some $3 eggs. So, <laughs> one thing I didn't talk about in the intro, it's a funny story. So, you know, as we kind of loosely said in the story, I did really early despair shows. And was a big fan of the band when I was young. And they had a, a shirt, a hoodie, that said, Despair, I hope you fucking drown in your pattern life. <laughs> Which I thought was the coolest thing. And I bought, you know, buying a hoodie back in the day was like, you know, yeah, it's that's a, a big, big, expense. big purchase. Hell it's yeah, like 20, 25 bucks. You know, you only wear like one hoodie a season, you know, kind of. So yeah. I was like, oh, this is my season's hoodie. Like, I'm rocking this. I was so stoked to wear it in school. And, like, the, like, second day I wore it in school, I got pulled to the side. I got told I need to, like, take this shirt off or leave or something like that. 
And I had, I'm like, no, I'm not taking it off. And they made me put tape over uh, the fucking part and like, stuff like that. Yeah. So I got busted like sophomore year of high school for badass. my despair putty. And then I told my principal, I hope you fucking drown in your pattern life, man. <laughs> you did? No. <laughs> no. I didn't say that. Listen, Holy I was a bad shit. kid in the way that, like, I talked back. I got into some trouble, you know, but, like, I never did, like, real stuff. You right. know, I never fought people. I never uh, stole from people. I never right. was, like... Even my teachers that I would fail me kind of liked me. Right. Like we, we had an agreement with each other, you know, <laughs> we're personally OK. I was just like, listen, you're fine. I'm just not going to do any of this for you. You know, it's not and personal. Do, yeah. And do what you got to do. You know, once they, I think, saw that I wasn't emotionally invested in the grade. They're like, all right, well, I guess that's a wash. Nice enough kid when he's around, you know, <laughs> pretty much hanging out. Oh, man. I don't know. Anyway, but this this interview got me thinking about being young, yeah, being in high school. That like Scott was providing the early soundtrack to my life. Him and his bands, you know. I mean, and the Buffalo scene was thriving at that time. Like he said, yeah, there's all these bands from upstate New York. I mean, so much of even that hardcore scene at the time was totally upstate New York between Syracuse and Buffalo and those lower Canadian bands. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. It's funny that hardcore. In upstate New York, it's so much going on there. Or is it like, is it geographical? Like how music from Seattle or London is kind of sad because they're always rainy and, and gray? <laughs> no, are are people from, from upstate New York and lower Canada, they're all like in hoodies in the winter and right. need to move around. They're kind of mad. Maybe hardcore is just like the perfect fit. Like. For, for stuff like that, for that weather. Regional and seasonal. Interesting. Interesting concept. Yeah. I guess you would have to look at other, like, similar latitudes, right? To figure out, like, uh, is yeah. there a hard Scandinavian metal? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's similar, right? I think we're on to something here. This could be a government grant for us. Uh, um, <laughs> go on. Jonah, you listening? We need an educator on this. I'll get Jonah. Yeah. We'll do a podcast on it. Like, or even, like... Can can a band like the Beach Boys or like Beck, could those people be from anywhere but Los mm. Angeles or Southern California? No, probably not. Probably, probably not, not, right? There's something so. to this. And then all the emo bands from the Midwest because they're like, oh, it's kind of cold. I'm in my sweater and I have <laughs> no one to talk to. <laughs> wow. We really just figured this out. And then New York City and D.C., had the grimy kind of like in Boston had like kind of the grimy tough guy hardcore right, things because right. everyone's all mad and half working class. Oh man, <laughs> we're on to. I can't wait for Scott to hear this intro. I yeah, bet he'd have some thoughts. Let's um. Well, we'll we'll get it. I'm gonna I'm gonna write up a paper and we'll get a grant for this. We'll we'll study it if it hasn't been done already. Brad, this goes on to one of my goals in life that you can actually help me with. I don't know if you know this about me. You want to get a doctorate. No, I want to get a college degree. Okay. But I want to do it without going to college. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking <laughs> you to get an honorary degree <laughs> at some point in my life based on the merit of my work, um, you know? And okay. uh, <laughs> it doesn't have to be Harvard. It could be, you know, 
Stockton State down in South Jersey. How I don't about, know. I don't care. How about care. Like a community college? Would that be okay? Fine. Okay. Those are the only two of the three schools I ever went to. There might, so. be, there might be something out there. Might even be so, somebody listening who could hook it up. I'm not even 40 yet, Brad. Listen. I think I could do this. Either give Benny an honorary degree or fucking write his Wikipedia page. One or the other, okay? I mean, something. <laughs> I mean, how much disrespect do I have to have for being a drummer in this world? <laughs> Finally sang these stupid songs. So be, I'd have a tumbler and everything. <laughs> is that a thing still? I don't, I don't think know. you know what a tumbler I'd is. I'd have a friendster. You're getting kicked out of my top eight. I don't know. Uh, let's listen to this podcast. It's a good one. In advance, I just sent you the copy of it. Right at the beginning of my file, you can hear geese, my dog, and my children all at once. Is that so, you with the kids at the end? I couldn't tell if it was. was I thought it was you. It was. No, it wasn't me. Wasn't me. Mine Might did poke mine. their. They did poke their heads yeah. in, like trying to tell me that it was dinner time. But uh, you know what my kid was saying? What he's like, Dad, that new fucking terror record slams. <laughs> That's what he was telling me through the door. All I heard was floor punching outside. My five-year-old in the fucking living room. Just windmilling. Breaking pictures. It was fucking awesome. Sweet. Thanks, Scott. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Let's listen. It's going on um, are we rolling or are we not rolling? <laughs> We're rolling, but... <laughs> Uh, but we can add it. We can add it if you want to. If you want to, you know. No, nah, I don't care. I just want to know. Um, when this lockdown started, I had this fantasy I was going to grow my hair, okay. and then I then I realized there's some places in my hair that don't grow anymore. So, oh. was, and I've also um, become my own barber, which is crazy because I'm like I'm the crazy person that my people in my band are like why the fuck are you getting your hair cut again? Because I go like every five days to get my hair cut so it's nice and oh. tight and clean. Yeah, and yeah. now now I literally go out to my garage with clippers, cut my hair in a mirror, and it looks, I mean, if you really look at it, it probably looks terrible, but I've become my own barber now. Are you just, oh. sh- are you just straight shaving it? Or are you like trying to give yourself like a high and tight? I I try fantasy style. I, I'll do like a three on top, mm-hmm. and then I'll I'll do two on the sides, and then one lower, and then one half really low, and then I'll go back up to try to like fade it. But my girlfriend will look at it and she'll just like shake her head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I spent so many years, me and my brother, just shaving each other's heads. You know, like no attachment, a- like just. Getting in there, you do it yourself, and the only thing you need help with, yo, can you check me for spots? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my, my senior high school, uh, whatever, yearbook picture is zero guard, just a total bald head. Yes, like bicked. <laughs> Not bicked. Uh, okay. Clippers with, with no guard. Still bold in high school. That's a, that's a bold move in high school. Not everybody's willing to rock that. So when you were trying to rock this hair quarantine style, like when's the last time you tried to grow it out where you were met with this, this, this pleasure this time? Um, during like my old band despair, there's some pictures of me with like a short on the sides, but like a little hair on top. 
So, so we're talking like 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so you must have assumed that you might have had a problem. Well, I mean, you if if you take a good look, you can see on the you know and on the and the front on the left and right, there's a little thinning. We'll call it thinning. It's <laughs> yeah. a nice way to put it. <laughs> I'm terrified to shave my long hair because that's what I'm. I'm like, like sometimes <laughs> in the middle of the summer, I'm just like, yo, fuck it, like I'm done. I'm like, I'm just taking it down. I want to feel shampoo against my scalp for the first time in years. Yeah. But I'm terrified. I'm terrified of what's, <laughs> what's going on down there. I'm like, it still looks all right. So I don't want to, I don't want to tempt fate. You know, the grays are, I've noticed the grays at Brad, Brad looks like fucking Santa Claus. By now. Um, I noticed like in my mustache and beard is where it's real heavy, where I'm like Me- starting to, that's where I can't hide it at all. My my facial hair too, and on the le- my left side, like uh, like near my temple, there's mm-hmm. just this total gray patch. It's crazy. It goes Wait. from like not so gray to super gray. Huh, weird. Like you got struck by lightning. Now <laughs> this leads to some like I know what it's like on on these tours, especially the kinds of tours you've done in your life. Like, how are you? How are you getting cut up every five days? Like, that's got to be tough in some places of the world. Um, or is it well, easier I'll, than I thought? Because I don't do it. It's easier than you thought when it's your priority. So <laughs> I will say the uh, invention of Uber, the introduction right. of Uber. As well as a iPhone, it's not that hard. Um, right. Other other things are put in your Instagram story. Here's our tour date. Any barber that's coming to the show, and you know now there's like this link of hardcore and barber world. Right. Yes. Right. And, Everyone with the, with the bolo ties and the big mustaches. <laughs> right. Yeah. So once in a while, someone will come to the venue and cut my hair there. That's a dream yeah. case, and then. Uh, we did a couple tours with barbers in bands, and that's a super dream. Oh, yeah, that's dope. And like Warp Tour, which I only did once, like a, a couple people were cutting hair. The uh, I believe it was someone in Bayside, I believe the drummer. Right. He's, he set up a tent, and like he said, I was definitely his best customer. Like I'd go there like every three days just to like escape, mentally escape Warp Tour. So, Things like that were amazing. Now, Europe, a little bit tougher. Yeah, different story. It's crazy you bring that up. Like, sometimes I think about, I mean, when you're in the middle of nowhere, when you're in, like, Idaho or, you know, you know, states like that, and someone's like, oh, let's go see a movie. You know, like, the fact that that option even exists to you now is is so much different than what touring was like when we started, right? Like, imagine what what it would take in one of these states to to find a cab service to right. get them to pick more than one taxi of people up to actually get them to come back after the film actually know where you are you needed the addresses to everything like right. it it would be an almost impossible feat to pull off without these things it's really amazing now. You don't even have to have a dollar in your pocket. You just press a couple of buttons. A car shows up. Random person. You don't even know who they are. You get in their car. They take you to wherever you want to go. And then when you're done, you press the same button and you go back. It's like, 
Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, you know, I always, I always try my hardest, Scott. And I don't yes. know. If, I always try my hardest to not be like the self-righteous old man who talks about, you know, walking in the snow uphill to go right. see despair when I was 15, <laughs> you know, like, like well, it was harder back then. I had to uh, hitchhike to the show and then Nazis tried to beat me up there. And that's when hardcore <laughs> was better, you know, because it wasn't right. really better, right? Like it was just harder. <laughs> Definitely harder, but there's a, obviously we both know that there's a, magic to that also but so many things are so much easier but it definitely dilutes you know that the hard the easy path isn't always the best path but sure it is it is pretty amazing have you ever seen that i think it's like uh some comedian uh i think it's louis ck or someone talking about like when people get pissed off at their phone and like this thing sucks and he's like yeah, yeah. no it's not it's amazing it's a miracle oh yeah he does the miracle of flight skit too yeah, that's hilarious yeah. where people are like, like flying yeah, through yeah. the sky like a right. greek god yeah right in a chair that reclines yeah. <laughs> i like the bit where he's like you know to get to whatever i forget what state but like to get to california you know, you had to be in like a wagon train. Right. You watch like your best friend is shot with an arrow and buried right next to you. And like, and now you just watch like a shitty Adam Sandler movie and, and you're there in like three hours. Yeah, it's different. It's different. You complain, complain, yeah. complain. But fl- flying is literally the worst thing in the world. Oh, I hate it. I'm so happy oh. to not be flying right now. It rules. Oh, um, God, but, but that leads me back. I mean, you know, I know a lot about you, but it all starts from despair. And, and you know, you, you kind of came into it even young, like someone with just like a lot of fire and a lot of confidence and uh, discipline. You know, I even got myself, got my hands on a letter that you wrote, Josh Grabell, um, like you many, cur- many years ago. Like You, you currently know, have this? I have it in front of my face. Yeah. A two page letter when you were still in Slugfest and starting despair and hitting up Josh, you know, to, you know, let him know who you guys were and your music and offering campfire a show in Buffalo. Um, so is, I, is this where I uh, talked about how we both like the movie Princess Bride also? It is. Yeah. It okay. Is. It's okay. hilarious. Your, your, your handwriting's pretty good for the time. I was impressed. I thought it would be a little more graffiti style or something. Just, based on your pants but like where did that come from you know like uh you seem to go into it and you had a this idea that that you were really like driven and disciplined and and goal oriented like early on like is that just an innate thing with you was it something you kind of had to work on as you went um when it came to hardcore yeah. Super, super driven. Any, you know, anything else I'd like, I never, I, I never really cared about getting an education. I never really cared about having money or like that security thing. Right. Leading up to hardcore, I was into, I was a total jock. I played, all I did was play sports okay. constantly. I played on so many basketball leagues that my teams would play each other and I'd have to decide. Oh, shit which team I was going to play on and which team was going to hate me. Right, so like, sense. hence the comfort in basketball shorts. This makes, <laughs> this makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. All what, was your, what position were you? What, what kind of player? Point guard? Uh, 
guard. Yeah, yeah. Point, point guard. I was never really tall, but uh, I could see you being a hard nosed white point guard. Yeah, like <laughs> I could see that. I was definitely white. I was definitely white. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I played. You know, f- organized football, baseball, basketball. Um, okay. And then when we when I wasn't doing that, me and my friends, like I grew up in like not even a suburb of Buffalo, like the country, like the woods of Buffalo. Oh, okay. Like how far out of the city? I would say like for Buffalo, probably a half hour, but that's like, yeah, that's 10 minutes. You're outside of anything. So, um, and then when I wasn't doing that, all I did was with my, the, the kids in my neighborhood, we'd just play sports all day. So that's all I cared about. And then, um, you know, then my stepbrother who lived in the city with my dad, his mom and my father remarried each other when they were both divorced. So he's the person that got me into everything. So first he got me into like UTFO and run DMC and Houdini. And then after that, he was like really into punk. And eventually I moved in with them. Um, My mom moved to Texas with my two sisters. I moved in with my dad. And then when uh, me and him kind of discovered hardcore together, I literally did not care about sports at all. Like I played freshman year of high school. I played basketball, football, lacrosse. Sophomore year moving forward, I have have never played an organized sport again in my life. I never Um, look back, huh? Yeah, so like – Five, six, seven years ago, I played on a kickball, like an organized like, <laughs> right. kick, kickball team. Sure, and yeah. it it came back to me. I just was so competitive. I was like, <laughs> pe- people on the team like took it for fun and would like talk in the outfield and miss miss a pop fly. And I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yo, get under us! <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so like, but at that point, like I I never cared about school. All of my school grades were like. D just to get by. And I don't right. think it's cause I was dumb. I just didn't care. And like, I just didn't care about anything. But when it came to music, I think I was just like, and it was never like I wanted to be in a full-time band. I, I never thought that was possible. It was like, I want to put out a seven inch. I want to mm-hmm. make fanzines. Once I accomplish that or, or accomplishes way too like uh, big of a word. Once that happened, I wanted to uh, maybe do a full length or I wanted to play in Cleveland and then I wanted to play in Chicago. And like, I was just super driven. And then the next level, like seeing Snapcase, Right. Take right in Buffalo. Sure. And this is almost a jealousy competitive thing because they, they took Slugfest drummer, like kind of in a shitty way. Um, I'll say they stole our drummer. However, it went down. You know the, the piccolo snare guy. Oh, they took him right from the piccolo me. snare guy was yours. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> he's so check, famous. <laughs> check out, check out the slugfest seven, and you'll hear the. Oh no, the it's beginning. like the most the most notoriously weird drum sound besides for like Metallica's Saint Anger. Is that he's great. He's re- oh, he's awesome. really yeah. good drummer. Oh, I've stolen mad shit from that dude. Sure, <laughs> and. I mean, I see a side of it now. We were like smoking weed and drinking and weren't very good. And he was like this 
going into college, straight edge kid, and got offered to be in Snapcase. It was like, how yeah, can he right. say, how can he say no? But, to you now, yeah. but like seeing them go to Europe and get on victory and take over, you know, they were like, if not the biggest, one of the biggest bands at the time. And I was like, yeah, they were like the biggest hardcore band besides maybe like sick of it all or something. Hate breed. Yeah. So they lit like a fire under me to, to work harder. So that was like a super long answer to a very basic question. Nah, I, nah. Was- I mean, it's interesting. I, I actually even want to go like further back though. Cause I mean, you know what you did makes sense to me. Once you find that thing, it's like, and that passion is there and you see something in it you want, and especially when you're young, you never look back. Like that's just the, you know, the style when you get into it. But what was going on with you? Like, like, did you feel like when you were playing sports, you said like, you know, your family was a little split. Um, was there something that like the scene and like hardcore was like giving to you at the time beyond, you know, that sort of occupational side of it? Like, like an emotional kind of the escape, the release side of it. I grew up with a, a pretty, pretty normal childhood for the most part. Definitely, you know, poor. Like there's a there's a terror terror lyric on the song one with the underdog where it says uh, raised raised in unemployment lines, and that's literally like I can remember standing with my mom with her collecting unemployment and and going shopping with food stamps and stuff, but. At the, t- at the time, you don't really, you know, we had a, a little shitty house and I had my two sisters and my mom and we were close. Like she was a good bomb. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've done some, uh, gone to some therapists in my life to try to figure out why I am certain ways. And obviously yeah. an obvious thing is, um, when in the midst of that, when I was in sixth grade, so I'm living with my mom and my two sisters, um, and we had to move a lot because my mom just, you know, she was like a dental assistant, and then she got a job at the post office, so she's uh, just doing whatever she can sure. to provide for us. And uh, she went to her high school reunion and re reconnected with uh, some guy. Oh wow! And and within like uh, two months, she was like, "Yeah, we're moving to Houston." Whoa. And I, okay. I was just like, fuck that. I'm not going. You were and in like middle school at that time, like six, seventh grade, sixth grade. Yeah. And I was yeah, like, I'm not going. Holy shit. And you know, she, I was like, I'm going to move with my dad. And she like literally dropped me off at my dad's and drove away. And I think that really uh, kind of added to some of the little mental problems I have. Yeah, but, that'll, um, that'll do it, man. Um, what, what's, how is your relationship with like her and your sisters moving forward? Up to that point, it was really good. At that point, I think I went into this, I'm never going to ask you for anything type thing. Right. Um, and it's, it's really crazy because my, um, when I when I was going to therapy a lot, I haven't done it in, in too much recently. But my the, it took a while to find someone that I could really put my faith into what he was telling me I yeah, should, yeah. should follow. Um, and he told me I really need to fly to Buffalo and tell my mom to her face that what she did really hurt me and it really oh, affected wow. me. And I just need to get it off my chest. And I never did it. Holy and, shit. Other things with my father, he he told me I should address with him, and I never did it. He passed away like a couple years ago, so I never got that chance. And may, I think it was the la- it was definitely the last time I saw you at the Every Time I Die Christmas show. 
Yeah. Um, I flew into Buffalo and had lunch with my mom. And oh, when wow. she was, she was driving me back to the hotel I was staying at. She just opened up. She's like, Hey, I, I don't know. I can't remember what she said, but like, I know I did this to you. I'm really sorry. And all this stuff. And it's like this huge weight was probably lifted off both of our sure, yeah. backs and stuff. So yeah, anyone out there that's dealing with someone like that, probably it might be good to, um, I do have a really good friend though. I don't want to put his business out there too much. That was told, one of my very best friends was told by his therapist to do the same thing, like bring up to your parents what they did, how much it affected you. And he went and traveled to a different country to do this, sat his parents down, do this. And they said, we don't know what you're talking about and went back to about their business. So it's like kind of like, God damn. Yeah. It's not foolproof. I, I actually, you know, without getting too far into it, I had a similar situation in my family. And one thing I was going to say to you is that the meeting doesn't always go well. And (laughs) you certainly don't always get what you need out of it. You know, like not everybody's ready to reconcile at the same time. Not everybody's even emotionally capable to say the things that you need to hear, you know? So I think the only good thing about that is now, you know what you're dealing with, at least like, you know, not to try to draw blood from a rock. So sometimes you have to learn that there's a rock in front of you first. (laughs) Right. I think too, the thing is you can't expect any response. You have to say it for you and, and say what you have to say. And however, whoever, reacts or doesn't react that's on them but at least you you know you said your piece that's i think that's the point yeah totally it's interesting wow we went from bald heads to deep talks real quick (laughs) yo going off track scott (laughs) this is what we do i'm not trying to talk about some bullshit i freak people out all the time and it's the reason my friend group has gotten smaller as i get older i'm just not into bullshit man like i want to talk about death and the meteor life and all the real shit, like as quickly as possible. I'm sick of everything else, you know? Well, I do have some things I need to get off my chest relating okay. to you. Oh, um, lay it on me. I did hear uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a New Jersey podcast. I can't think of the name right now. And you were on it. And you were talking mm-hmm. about booking shows and stuff. And you were talking about the despair. Yeah. <sighs> Brothers Keeper, I think it was Outcome, and yes. how they broke all the microphones. Puritan. 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 Yes. Something I did not know was E-Town Concrete was doing the yes. sound. Uh, that's, a, uh, that's amazing to me. And I, uh, oh, I, don't know, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but Ant Money was Terror's manager at one point for a year oh, or two. Oh, that, what, when he was over at, like, Ferret and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we were one of his first, like, bands he did himself and it was great like he he was a great manager to us and then like a year and a half later he called me and was like i'm going a different route see yeah, you I'm later out. i'm out <laughs> Dude, that's so you- funny because that time he was working there was when i was finally like okay cool this guy doesn't hate me it was a long time ago and now we're cool <laughs> you know like i had to like come to terms with that so i'm glad you brought this up okay because there's something i need to get off my chest now (laughs) okay all right so i should i should at least debrief the story because me and you are talking about something that everybody listening doesn't know 
So okay. when I was maybe 16, this is probably 96, right? That show or that tour? Yeah, 95, 96, yeah. I would say. So I was 15, 16 and booked what I think was the first Truscale national tour, which was you guys, Despair, Brothers Keeper, and Harvest. Right, And right. then I booked a couple local bands on the show, uh, Outcome and Puritan, who were like really like uh, hardcore straight edge vegan, like, you know, militant, like straight edge vegan kids at the time. Um, I had some friends who were, I was smoking weed at these shows, but I booked these bands anyway. And the show was awesome, but it was my typical show where like, it was a great set of bands, but wildly unattended for how many, you know, for what I needed (laughs) to pay for sound and all that. And in the middle of the show, this band Puritan gets up and the singer just goes, yeah, what's up? We're Puritan. And just smashes a mic on the ground and breaks it. And through the course of the show, he broke two microphones. Now, the funny part about this is I'm doing shows at the Manville Elks. This is like my third show there. And I've been using Kenny and Anthony from E-Town Concrete as my sound guys. So, you know, I thought they were cool. I thought I was cool for getting them to do sound, you know, like like it was like respect that I even got them to do it. So they come up to me after the show and I'm I'm a kid. This is where I'll give my myself a pass. It's like I'm a kid. I, yes, thank you. Because I met an enforcer. Oh, um, and <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so they come up to me and they're like, yo, you got to pay me for those mics. And me being like a 15 year old promoter, I'm like, uh, no, I don't. That's like sound. That has nothing to do with me. So I have no idea. Okay. This is where I'll give myself some leeway. Cause obviously I was in the wrong, you know? Um, and, and then he's like, no, 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 you got to give us money for those mics. And me being a shitty little kid, I'm just like, no, like, I don't have it. Like, what do you guys want me to do? And then they kind of like fronted on me a little bit, at least (laughs) enough to scare me. This is where I was just telling this story to my wife yesterday. And there's a disconnect here in my memory because I do not know where I got money from and how I got them off my back. When I told that story in the other podcast, I had said I walked to quick check and took it out of an ATM when I reflect back, I did not have an ATM card. My mom did not have an ATM card. I never walked to that quick check like in my life. I always got driven. So that part of the story, I don't know. I think I filled in the blanks. But I eventually got him off my back and uh, gave him some money or whatever. I don't know how. And I survived the night. Anthony, I was like 16. Anthony was like 17. He wasn't much older than me, but he looked like a man by then, you know, like, like he was like, it was a different world. You know, I wasn't even trying to get into it. Oh, it's so funny. You (laughs) talked about that, but yeah. So, but subsequently that was the last time that I used Anthony and Kenny from E-Town to do sound for me. (laughs) Uh, And, and eventually got John Hiltz, the famous John Hiltz from, you know, born against and, uh, who wound up being a super professional sound guy who helped me out for like years and years. Um, actually, Kate Hiltz, who manages the Bouncing Souls, brother, um, is the one who did sound for me after that. But it's so funny you brought that up, man. That was like <laughs> one of the most terrifying things that ever happened to me was being stepped up to. 
by Anthony from E-Town. I think within the same year, Stickman from Furia 5 also stepped up to me. Oh, I would, I'd be more scared of that one. Tough year. Well, he was yeah. more unhinged. I didn't realize that. Yeah. But, all right, so let's go back. I don't want to talk about me too much. Brad is probably so I, mad right now. I got Brad a bunch hates of questions when I tell for you. my story. Oh, yeah, this was your <laughs> question. Okay, I'll receive more questions. What's up, Scott? <laughs> what's, what's the status of Gaslight Anthem? Yo, chilling like a bear. Nothing? Will I get any more music? I can't answer that question, honestly. Mm. All I know, all I can safely say is this. Mm-hmm. We're friends. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem. We're not mm-hmm. broken up. Uh, and that's about all I know. And, when, and uh, I'm pretty comfortable leaving it there at the time. When I'm not sure if, if you're aware of this, because I don't know if I talked to you at this point in life. Uh, Terror and Gaslight Anthem did Soundwave together. Are you aware of this? Uh, I don't you know, think so. Okay. I, I think... I think this is before me and you realized we knew each other. Yeah, like reconnected. Uh, right. During that, before that, several people told me, you're going to love Gaslight Anthem. You're going to love Gaslight Anthem. You're going to love Gaslight Anthem. And I never went and saw you on that. And then maybe six months later, I probably got 59 Sound and became a super fan. The only times I saw you ever play was one time you played uh, uh, what venue? A really tiny venue in L.A. in Hollywood. You did like a like an underplay, packed show. Was that um, that like the scene bar that thing? No, it was like a shit. Anyways, one of those Hollywood sh- shows you okay. played, yeah. and it was too packed to enjoy. <laughs> like it was too for someone I think I like me. I know what you're talking about. It's when we when we underplay. I think we did the Roxy, or that's what it was. That's what it was. The Roxy. I, then, I, then I saw you with an amazing show. You, Hot Water Music, and uh, Rise Against at like an arena, like a hockey place yeah. in Anaheim. Right. That was am- that was amazing. <laughs> and that's like when you had radio hits and like seeing like 10,000 people singing your songs was crazy. Well, not on those tours. And then but, if yeah. you remember, um, we played a fest with you in Hatebreed in Germany and we had our backstage room tents all together. Yes. That's the last time I saw you guys play, I believe. And I need more, so... Yeah, Make that, that, was happen, my, please. that was my wife's 30th birthday. And we uh, we drank absinthe from <laughs> some like German trolls out in the audience. They were literally wearing like troll shit, like with the furry feet and like loincloths and stuff, selling this absinthe in weird bottles. And we had some. We're like, you're turned 30. Let's celebrate. And then I, I bring her on stage for Hatebreed. And I was so tripped out that I started like jumping into the lights that were hitting the ground on the stage and quickly thought, I'm like, oh my God, I hope Jamie Yasta doesn't see me. But it was a fun night. That's when you, yeah. And I remember, I remember us uh, hanging out backstage and like seeing each other again, like during, during some of those shows and kind of like reconnecting, being, I remember you being side stage at a festival somewhere. 
watching us and like knowing the lyrics. And I was so fucking stoked. Like, I was like, oh my God, like Scott's here and he like knows our shit. That's cool as hell. Like that hmm. happened at some point. I don't remember when it was exactly, but I, I do remember either, being but... super pleasantly surprised by the fact that like, cause I don't know. I, I thought you were, I thought you just like woke up listening to Madball like every day, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I would say during this lockdown, the most bands I've listened to the most are like sunny day real estate would be number one. Uh, maybe Lifetime would slide in there, okay. um, stuff like that. But when when you put out 59 Sound and then onto American Slang, is that the next one? Yeah. Or is that what it's called? Yeah. What's the third one? Uh, well, those are three. Those are two and three. There's Sink or Swim. Yeah. Then there's 59 American Slang, Handwritten. Hand, those three back to back, I was like a super fan. Nothing against the other two. But I was, a su- I was a super fan in the middle, and I'm ready for good, some more. It was a good stretch. It was <laughs> a good stretch. I don't want to ruin that stretch. It's part of the reason you're not seeing anything. But we'll see. Sometimes, you know, cheddar cheese ages after a while, and it tastes better. All right. Let's get off of me, Scott. I know Brad's sitting there just pulling out the little hairs in his mustache right now. He's so mad. He's it's a great show. It's going well. You guys are doing right. So I was listening to one of your songs, Scott. The World Never Wanted Me. Yes. Which fucking really bummed me out. Like, like I'm like, this is a sad song. Like, this is really awesome and sad. And then I got to the second verse, and I was like, oh, there's, like, a lot of empowerment to what he's saying and I want to ask you this question because I'm listening to this song and I'm like, wait, is this the difference between hardcore lyrics and punk rock and emo lyrics is the fact that like, yes, I'm depressed. Yes, I feel like shit. Yes, I feel like alone. But by the second verse, you're like, fuck you. This is who I am. And hardcore kind of pushes more of like an indiv- like an individualistic like fuck you with a little reconciliation for being sad. Do you, do you think that's true? Um, I mean, terror definitely has some, um, some stuff like that. There's, there's definitely just straight off pissed off songs with nothing positive about it. Right. There's definitely some very pro hardcore songs, but what you're saying, um, I think that's kind of the beauty of it. And also like the slap in the face to people that think like it's, mm. you know, like the generic kill your dog, <laughs> punch, punch, punch your grandma in the face or whatever people, when they hear hardcore would say it, um, you know, like there are some, even bands like, you know, Gorilla Biscuits are completely different than say Killing Time. Yeah. Sure. But I, I think both of them, when you spin it, are both saying the world we've been dealt is a little bit fucked up. We're come, we're most of us that get involved in this are probably coming from a fucked up family or some sort of uh, thing in our growing up pushed us off the path of normalness. And instead of just, I guess when, when I think of punk, you just think of like, fuck the world or yeah, anarchy right. or, uh, burn this place to the ground. There is some sort of, instead of taking that route, let's make our lives better for ourselves, the people we care about 
and this scene is, you know, and hardcore always has, for me at least, has always been about learning. Lyrics will push you to a place. You'll read an interview with someone that brings up a point and makes you want to maybe, I'm not a big reader, but maybe makes you want to pick up a book and educate yourself. And even yeah. if you don't agree with it, you're arming your mind with some knowledge. Totally. And, and I think it's more like, well, basically what you're saying, let's, uh, we're, we're in a fucked up place. We come from a fucked up place, but let's make it a better place. I would yeah. hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's, you know, I never even put it together until I was listening to that song. So credit to you because the way you frame that song was really like apparent to me and struck a chord with me. But I think maybe that's one of the reasons I was attracted to hardcore is like, is like, I feel that, you know, I feel the same thing when emo kid does like everything sucks. It's sad. It hurts. Like the world is hard. Life is hard, but I don't like complaining. And right. you know, you're just given like certain things and you got to make what you can out of it. And I feel like that's something that really like, attracts me to hardcore you know like and, and credit to you for for making me understand that after all these years i am pretty poetic <laughs> i'd say <laughs> i mean you might be the only i think you're the most poetic man in basketball shorts in 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 the world maybe you know i don't think lou kohler will wear basketball shorts on stage anymore i think you got it dude he's old, he's old. The only thing I wear now is cut off sweatpants. So it's no, uh, it's, it's no mesh involved. <laughs> it's strictly buying sweatpants and cutting them off. Awesome. Now what's your vibe <laughs> with like, uh, what's your approach in general to, to songwriting and lyrics? Um, like, um, are you a jotter who, who writes things down all the time or do you kind of wait till the band is, is putting ideas together and then, and then base it off that. I'm uh, definitely a jotter. I have a, in my little notes section of my phone, anytime I think of something, if I, you know, hear a phrase in a movie or even hear a phrase from another band that I think is really impactful, uh -huh. I'll just put it in the lyric section. Then when the almighty terror starts to formulate <laughs> our next masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll kind of vibe out the song, like kind of what you're saying, like, is this, is this song 100% angry? Is this song angry, but in a positive way and kind of get a feel for the song. And, what, and then, what dictates that for you? Like at that point, is it, is it like how, how a guitar is sounding to you, the speed, like what dictates without lyrics if it, if it's angry or feeling positive? All of the above. I, I yeah. would say um, it's it's really it's really disturbing. But still, at this age, I'm 47. <laughs> like we're we're currently writing uh, new songs. So right. even at this age, every comment I make on our songs is to make sure the crowd is in quotes moshing like uh, ev everything in my brain for terror, because I yeah, do a yeah. couple other things where it's a little different, sure. but everything for terror is, will the crowd react to this? Wow. It's not how musical is this song it is a little bit too. Like, is there a space in the chorus for me to sing in? I'll, I'll, I've come to the point where I'll think of that, but everything is, 
are these transitions, do they have the impact that will make movement? So, um, I guess it's like the vibe, like, uh, you know, certain songs will hit me like this is a hundred percent pissed off. Certain songs will have a tinge of melody to it or a bigger chorus that lends it to maybe I'm going to sing something here that will really connect with people, whether that's I fucking hate the world and I'm always going to hate the world or I fucking hate the world, but I I want my world to be a little nicer something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Does the terror song ever start with like a lyrical idea or a phrase? Uh, I want to say no. In theory, I've presented that, but it's never evolved. It's usually, um, the the music's usually written, but going back to that song, This World Never Wanted Me. Yeah. um, That's one where I can clearly remember, because I'll also do... Uh, voice notes of like riffs or ideas of uh, you know I'll come up with a phrase like uh, whatever and I'll like kind of get a flow of it in my head and I'll kind of sing it into my phone or even I'll have like a little stupid riff pattern okay. and I'll send those Some sometimes I'll go back and listen to them and be like this is the most generic <laughs> stupid thing in the world <laughs> right. but one once in a while it will work and so that song, This World Never Wanted Me, for people that don't know it, it's the first song on our newest record. And it starts out with just a guitar. It's all guitar and vocals. Yeah. And then just like cymbal accents. And then, yeah, yeah. and it builds into this part where there is an actual drum beat. But a lot of it is just guitar and vocals. And I really kind of ripped this off um, from the band Stick to Your Guns, who's really good friends of mine in a band I really like. And they have uh, maybe like three records ago, they opened their record up with this thing that is really epic. And it's, I want to say it's piano and there's their singer, Jesse. And it's just really focused on Jesse and his lyrics. And I thought it was a really impactful way to start off the record. So I wanted to do something like that. And I remember I was excuse me in the movie theater and like this is the this is the terrible thing like when your brain starts going and you right. just paid fuck 15 for a movie and you're with someone and they're watching the movie and all you're thinking about is this yeah ultra important new terror song that right. can't be can't be paused right now sure and i remember like saying hey i gotta go to the bathroom and went into the bathroom and hummed into my phone like this <laughs> pattern of just like cymbal chokes and then all this guitar and all this like really heavy on the vocals. And I sent it to our guitarist, Jordan, and he, of course, turns it into something much more complete as well as musical than me going, dun, dun, blah, 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 <laughs> dun, dun, blah, blah, blah. And then that's how the song happened. That's so that's what... Cool. That's the closest one where it was really written around the vocals. And I think I had the phrase of this world never wanted me. So that's the closest. I would love to like take a piss next to you fucking recording that in the movie theater. <laughs> what that sounded yeah. like must have been awesome. <laughs> um, You're like who's this weirdo next to me? Yeah. So, I mean, so what people think it's like simple to to scream 
you know, like, and after you listen to hardcore for not very long, you realize it is not. Some people are much better at it. Some people have melodies. Some people have cadence. Some people have a strong scream. Like what to you makes, makes a great screamer. Do you want to talk just screaming or can we go hardcore front man? Okay. There's way more to that. Or do you want me to just go with their voice? Let's go both. Okay. I would put Freddie Madball as my top pick for hardcore frontman. But a lot of it comes down to literally just when he walks into a room, he has a presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then when he gets up on stage, his stage presence or the way he moves on stage yeah. is very, uh, I don't want to use the word that's in my mind. He just has sexy, a very, I want to say like swagger, but I don't really yeah. use that word. No, it's true. But yeah. He's got, he's got swag. He does. Yeah. He's just got a vibe and energy, yeah. a presence. And you can just tell what he says he means mm. on top of that great lyrics yeah um you know i think madball by some people get pigeon held as this like tough guy hardcore band but i don't really see like when you look at it they're not and they're pretty pretty good songwriters yeah and sure. a, a really good live band and really professional but to me talking about that uh i'll give it to him more on the front man aspect yeah. Um, now take someone like Jamie Hatebreed, Josta. Right. Sure. Ultra clear voice. Like that guy's screaming like a barbarian, but at the same time, you can make out every right. word he's you know, saying. Every word. Yeah, sure. And that's important. Like that, that gets people to understand and connect with you because I think for me, hardcore is more about lyrics than it is the music. Like mm. a band can have these awesome riffs and this great songwriting, but if the lyrics don't really connect with me, I'm going to be on to the band where the lyrics do connect with me. Right. So, and then, then you have bands like, take like a band like Despair, my old band. Vocals are very, uh, uh, you can't distinguish what I'm saying for the most part. Mm. The 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 mixer engineer could recognize that my voice was pretty bad, so he kind of buries it in the mix. <laughs> turn turn the guitar up, turn the drums up, and it's just like kind of like more music heavy, right? And at the time, I didn't know any better, but when I look back on it, there's a lot of bands where they just kind of bury the vocals in the mix, and you can't even understand what the singer's saying. Yeah, right. Then, the, but take a band like Converge. Who right. yeah. I would say totally can't understand what. Yeah, almost um, never. Yeah. And also, I wouldn't say their vocal. I, I don't know because I'm not a converge expert. I would say their vocals aren't super high in the mix, maybe. Yeah. But huge people fucking. So maybe everything I'm saying isn't true. But for me, you know, uh, if you next time you listen to Start Today, mm-hmm. listen to how fucking loud the vocals are in the mix. Right. They're so loud, but then every hardcore kid, not every, but many, many hardcore kids know every fucking word to that record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. To, yeah. So, 
So to me, it's maybe not so how hard you can... My early bands like Slugfest, I thought it was all about like, like the gruffiest, scream the loudest, scream the meanest. But at this point, that's not the goal. Maybe having having some parts where you actually take all that off and then put it back on some diversity and some highs and lows and ups and downs. And um, I do this band called World Be Free with. Sammy, the the drummer of right. a mil- yeah. million bands, sure. and he'll Sager. like yeah. right. He'll per what quote unquote produce the vocals and tell me to do these off the wall things. And at the time in my head, I'm like, dude, this is so stupid, but I'm going to do it to yeah. appease him. And then when the next day, when you go back and listen to it, it's the coolest part of the song. And I'm like, thank God you are artistic and give me these ideas because I would never think of this myself. Uh, he's been behind a lot of great singers, right? Yeah. I mean, but what you say with Gorilla Bits is interesting. I mean, it's one of the first bands from our scene to be like truly melodic, you know, if you ask me, but it's also, you're right. The vocals are so loud, which lends itself to more of like a pop production, you know, and the vocals are sitting right on top, but maybe that's a good thing, you know, when someone has something good to say and a little melody right. to it. Um, well, this leads into a segment of the show, Scott, called Mystery Friend. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, I know. I've, I've listened to your okay. show before. Right. Give, me the, give, me, friend. Okay. give me the statement. All right. So, Despair goes to Europe for the first time in 1996, hit a red light district in Germany. I'm guessing it's Hamburg. And uh, apparently, nobody did anything. But look, because you were too scared and too broke. Do you remember okay. the first time that you went to the uh, red light district in Europe? It's crazy because I've gone to Europe so many times now. And yeah. like that stuff doesn't even like, you know, not like you'll be driving in certain countries and there's literally a lady on the side of the street with her car there. Right. And if you, you wanted, you could pull over, give her some money and make love to her in her car. Mm-hmm. Um, so that stuff, it doesn't even fade. And now I've like realized like the Frankfurt airport has a, what do you call these? A sex shop where you can watch videos and relieve yourself. <gasps> Wait, like, really? The- There's jack off yes! booths at the no. Frankfurt airport. <laughs> yes. So yes. Wow. But- so I've got to say that means they have a semen cleaner, probably a team of them at Frankfurt Airport. What are those guys called I, again? The people who do that? Who clean the jizz semen? Moppers? Yeah, jizz moppers. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. Um, I'll get, Thank I'll get you, back Angela to, Merkel. That's, that's great. I'll get back to your question, but I got to say it's Josh Grabel because he came with us on the yes. tour. You yeah, already you brought him up. Nailed it. Okay. Nailed it. I figured you were going to get that because you figured I wouldn't be talking to old members of Despair. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I mean, at that time, well, I mean, first thing you land at that time, landing in Europe, my first time there, I think it was 95, 96. Yeah. And you're meet, you're walking through the airport and there's dudes with machine guns, just mm. like military guys with machine guns. So that's one thing that kind of jumped out at me. And then definitely, yes, seeing the red light districts in Hamburg was, you never had. I had never seen anything remotely close to that. You maybe had saw some like movies 
like with prostitutes in New York City, right, but yeah. like, you know, something like Taxi Driver or something, sure, but you had sure. never, never seen anything like that. And now I'll, you know, I've been in Hamburg 30 times and you just, now you like, you want to go somewhere after the show to get some food and you'll just walk through there. And to me now, I don't even see it. It's just like, right. it's just around me now. Yeah. You're like, how, how many blocks until the restaurant? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I had the exact same situation. I was telling my wife about this. I'm like, listen, it's not, it's not like a sordid detail. Like every young guy who goes to Europe or maybe women too, for the first time has to see it, you know? Right. And I remember right. the group of people I was with for some reason thought I was going to do something. <laughs> They're like, yo, you're getting into it. Right. I'm like, no, dude, I don't do that stuff. So did you know that? So Josh Grabell, thank you for the mystery friend. It's the second one. He, he also provided us with the Justin Brannon mystery friends. Oh, nice. so he's got a, I don't know how many mystery friends you have to do before you automatically have to be a guest. When was Justin on your show recently? No, like right before we took the break in, in 18. Mm. Uh, so he was on a couple of years ago, but I was thinking that might be a good interview to readdress because right. uh, a couple things have happened since. <laughs> I don't, know if, I don't right. know if you've heard. I don't know if you watched the news, Scott, but uh, he's a pop. And now he's right up in the mid- when he was on your show, was he already in politics? He was just he was like just, yeah, nominated uh, city council in Bay Ridge. So now cool. I think he's got his footing a lot. But like he's got juice now, it seems like I follow him. He's, he's got some political juice. Nice. Um, so, Scott, I have a hard time sometimes these days finding a good hardcore band I like. I know you have tons okay. of recommendations. It's usually what you're asked. I've seen like give me your top five new hardcore bands. I've seen you ask <laughs> right. that about 150 times while I was doing research for this. So I'm not going to bother you with that. But my issue is when did this shit start? Where every chorus in a hardcore song had these weird white guy grunge vocal like sing-alongs where everyone's actually singing and then you just scream in the verse. Like when the fuck did that start? And what are your thoughts on like that style of presenting hardcore? Can you, are we talking like stick to your guns or are you talking like turnstile or I mean like the initial bands, like I guess to me that started doing it, you know, I guess really early on, it would be like your, you know, 18 visions, even before probably like your early boys, that's fire, your early, like from autumn to ashes. Okay. Uh, you know, even Keith early on with some, every time I die was, you know, hitting those choruses singing. And then I think a band like kill switch engage or something just like okay. turned it into like some pop element. You know what I'm talking about? Every time the chorus hits, you hear, do, do the bird, do. Right. you know, <laughs> okay. it's like just the white grunge voice kicks in. And it really right. bothers me. I have no interest in that, really. What, what are your, like, when do you think this all started? And do you think it's, like, cool? Do you think it's okay? Um, oh God. Since I'm gonna you're say, the tastemaker to me, you're. I'm, I'm going to say this, now. and it's going to sound like a really elitist, closed minded asshole statement. Please. But most of these bands that you're talking about, I do not consider them hardcore bands. Ah. What? Okay. That's my personal thing. Uh, Stick to your guns. Who does that a lot? I consider them a hardcore band. 
every time I die, they're definitely a hardcore band. But a lot, and a lot of these things to me are like, I, if I know the people, it's easier for me because to me, it's more like, it's not a sound. It's more like who you are and how you carry yourself. That's why when, when people would tell me all the time, title fight is not a hardcore band. I'm like, that is for hardcore kids that go to hardcore shows that love hardcore, that support hardcore and they make music. To me, that's mm. hardcore. To me. So gotcha. it, that's mine, but everyone has a different idea. Now, you might know better than me. I think Boy Sets Fire is a very early, but is Grade? Did Grade do this first? Mm. Grade of Canada. Yeah, right around the same time, right? Because that, that one Boy Sets Fire EP probably came out around the same time. I'd say Separate the Magnets, right, was the one that... Everyone's like, oh, shit, that dude can actually sing, right? Um, because the one before, he was still just screaming. Yeah, grade might be way up there. But then you start getting into, I mean, take a band like you did a split with, uh, you know, like a New Day Rising. New How Day do Rising. you know that? How do you know that? Dude, that was one of my favorite Seven Inches for years. I, 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 I love the Despair side, but I also love... You know, in those days, how you discovered bands. You know, I discovered New Day Rising. I had one of those fucking compilation VHS tapes of <laughs> different bands playing in different fucking places. I saw a New Day Rising song, was blown away, had your seven inch. But a band like that was part of that early scene, too, where they were starting to do that stuff. Um, They're the great and New Day Rising are kind of the same area, friend group, uh, who... Who came first there? Mm, couldn't tell you. Well, let me let me lay this one on you too. And this was another thing I wanted to ask you. So, okay, I'm gonna give you. Uh, let me just say this: Split Lip. Are you familiar with early Split Lip? Yes. Okay, so for the love of the wounded, there's yeah. no uh, that tough stuff, screamy stuff, but that was like straight up almost rock music. I mean, yeah. I love them. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so maybe that's where a hardcore frontman, say grade, would say, maybe it's okay if I sing a little bit. Yeah. Um, now let me ask you. Now go going off track here. Yeah, let's go. It took it took me about twenty, thirty years late, but I have recently in the last month got into the later Chamberlain stuff. Are you familiar with any of this stuff? Yeah, some of it. Um, at the time it was coming out, maybe the same as you, I wasn't ready for it because I just wasn't listening to music like that yet. Like, I really it's, didn't, I did not start listening to like songwriter music besides for classic rock and stuff, probably until I got like somewhere around the gaslight time. You know, it just wasn't in my wheelhouse. So they lost me at the time and regained me as an adult. That's true for me too. And as an adult, just started like a month ago. It's super gaslight anthem. Super. They have a record Chamberlain exit five fifty two or some number like a. Check it out and let me know if you think it's wow. This is very gaslight anthem. Well, I mean, it would make sense because gaslight were such big split lip Chamberlain fans. That we essentially offered them enough money to like reunite once and come on tour with us. Um, really? So yeah. So this would actually this lines up. This adds up. Okay. Okay. Now, cool. So maybe yeah. grade. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not, I don't know. Like, so somewhere some- it went from like grade to whatever was happening and like on the warp tour in like 2014. Right. But, and but- it's, it's great. Like, have you ever heard of this band called issues? No. Okay. So there's a band called issues and this, this is like seven years ago. So they could be completely different than this. Okay. And I saw them play. They did um, a day to remember does those self-help fests. I don't know what that is. What's that? Okay. It's, the band, a day to remember, know you know them, them, obviously they do, they do their own festival called self-help and it's like 20 bands, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So let's say seven years ago, Tara played one of them and I checked out this band issues. They were either playing right before us or right after us. They had, they're your typical kind of warp tour band. They had a keyboard. Pl- no, they had, they had a DJ. I think okay. a DJ. Oh, that's when that a, was coming in. Yeah. With a backtrack shirt. So he's got a hardcore shirt on and they would go into these parts just like you're talking about the really screamy uh, verse, hard ass verse. And not only did they go into a singing chorus, but they would, their DJ would bust in a part and they would go into like a Justin Timberlake chorus. Oh, they bring in some backing tracks. (laughs) A pop chorus. Yeah, right. So this was like the next level. And I was just like, anything goes now. A band like Terror that has like one, we're like one dimensional. (laughs) There's bands now that are like eight dimensions in their music. We have one, we're fucked. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard not to be judgmental of that stuff. But you guys are like... You know, this is how you become a mainstay. It's like, I think you're turning into one of those bands now. I mean, like you said, you're working on, what, your eighth album now. You've never really done a dud. Um, You have the coolest fucking name, really cool merch. I feel like you're getting to the point now where, like, if you're, like, 14 and getting into hardcore, you just have to get, like, some terror shit. Like, it's part of the, you know, it's part of the uniform. You're a mainstay. Yeah, a mainstay. I'm down with all of that. So soon enough, you'll have your shirts in, uh, what's that store at the mall? Spencer's Gift? <laughs> Something like that? You'll, and then you'll be set, Scott. That's how it goes. Early terror, and this was like trust kill when we got like uh, an order from Hot Topic to have our shirts in the store, and they mm. ordered like 500 shirts at once, and you got a couple thousand dollars right there. I was like, this is the most amazing thing in the world. <laughs> what did you buy? The nicest sweatpants out there? <laughs> no, fucking a van that was, you know, you get like $3,000 and you buy a van with that and think it's going to last on tour. And then it's within three, we- three weeks, you're getting a new transmission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And- the death machines. Oh, God. So, do you know that people from Sugar Ray and Skid Row have a band called American Terror? <laughs> uh, no, but they can have it. Yeah, I, got some I, stole it, I stole it from Sheer. They can steal oh, it from me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I need your opinion on some weird ones. Again, I don't want to know your top five hardcore bands or anything like that. Because Revolver is going to ask you again in like three weeks. Uh, Excellent. So I want these three things of of a best, okay? Your best hardcore drummer, the best stage diver you've ever seen, 
and the best road dog you've ever met in all these years? I get three or just one? One for each. Okay. Best hardcore drummer, I would have to say Mackie. Yeah. Uh, it's just his style. Again, it's just his style when he plays and what he plays. But there for are people definitely who don't some- know, we should say Cro-Mags. What else? Did- Mackie was in tons of stuff, right? Bad Brains. Bad Brains, yeah. Um, Hazen Street. Played he was with even- Madball for a while. He even did Shelter and stuff for a minute, didn't yep, he? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he did an H2O tour. But I would say Sammy's great. Um mm-hmm. Pokey from Marauder Leeway and now Agnostic Front's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was a great hardcore drummer. There's a lot of them. Um, next question was I, I, I best was stuck, stage diver I was stuck, you've ever seen. I was stuck on a rototom. <laughs> um, <laughs> best stage diver. <sighs> Those. <sighs> The whole like Maine, Maine, the state of Maine, like the outbreak cruel hand crew. Yeah. So I will call them the maniacs, which is, I think, a a mad mad ball term. (laughs) Their whole little crew, I'll give it to. So I can't give you just one, but those guys are amazing. Now, road dogs. Yeah. What were you going to say? What makes a great stage dive? I was. I was. Like... I was almost going to ask you for like your basic do's and don'ts because I've seen such, such poor etiquette in stage diving yeah. before. Oh, God. Like, like I would say, try not to hurt. If you're trying to hurt people or blindside people, knowing you're going to make their neck like my neck, which is not a good neck. Yeah, that's not that's not a good entry point. But I do think there is a. Uh, unwritten rule that when you are at a hardcore show you might want to if you enter the front of a venue you might want to expect that someone might jump off something on you sure but i do do think trying not to hurt people um having some style yeah uh, you know there's there's some people with some grace and some style and uh people have like almost patented moves like they'll put their arms out in a certain right. way and um yeah and uh, you got you got to get a little vertical off the front of the stage right like i've seen too many people like work their way on the stage and then just like fall back like you gotta yes, you gotta get a little bounce cool. in your step right and, and kind of right. get up in the air a little oh yeah you gotta have some hops is and- there a minimum excuse me is there a maximum weight in which you should stage dive. I never mean to be a sizist, but I pulled myself out of the game when I was like 16 years old. Cause I was just like, I'm too big for this. I'm going to hurt someone. There's little people down here. I don't want to. Do you think there should be a weight cutoff? Well, I think what you said would be the mental state. If you think you're going to hurt people and you maybe evaluate the crowd, what you're dealing with. If you're at like a, turnstile show they might have a younger fan base mm. and they might have a more uh frail fan base <laughs> um but not not to take anything away from them i'm not trying to they if you see videos of them they have some ill stage dives going on turnstile but, in your frail fan base <laughs> but 
hey, that, that wasn't my point here. <laughs> no, my I point love it. was. I love it. My point was, if you're oversized and you're at a turnstile show, maybe take it the night off. Yeah, but yeah, then when you go when you go see some real hard when you go to a terror show, maybe that the overweight terror fans can take your weight. So the so big, maybe, so the big boys go to the terror show. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed with caution because no one wants to hurt someone and no one yeah. needs a fucking lawsuit to shut down another venue. If there are venues anymore, I don't even know what's going on. Um, See, as a big yes. boy, I'll say it as a big boy, okay? I haven't been under 200 pounds more than once or twice since I was like 13 years old. So I'll <laughs> say it for me that I think the cutoff should be somewhere around like 170, 160, 170. Anybody bigger than that, I think you're starting to, to hunk down on people a little much. You know? What if you're such a pro, you know how to land where your weight is distributed? Oh, that's a so, good point. Like like Joel Embiid. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I see some people that are so pro, it looks like they, I hope they practice. Yeah. And I'm not going to put a weight restriction on them. That's true. That's true. Some of the big boys got grace. They got grace in there. Like, uh, okay. All right. So offstage. That so, would. Go With ahead. your logic, reversing your logic, that's like telling Muggsy Bogue he can't dunk. That's true. He's too short, but and, then yeah. he gets up and you're like, damn. I believe I believe Spud Webb won an NBA right. dunk competition. <laughs> Little Nate Robinson won two, jumped over <laughs> Dwight Howard. Yeah, you're right. I think my I think I have flawed logic, and I'm gonna consider this deeply, Scott. <laughs> um, so all right, now hit me with your road dog. Who's like the best? road dog you've ran into out there and why or it could be one of your own dogs i don't know yeah i'm thinking i mean i gotta go with my boy chucky edge who okay. is no longer a road dog but he was uh took his job pretty seriously because we've had merch guys that are there not to sell merch but to have fun mm-hmm. and selling merch cannot be fun but he was straight edge he drove a lot he was very serious about his display and putting stuff up. He would fucking hit the pit every show. Oh, I love and that. Even harder when it wasn't a good show when you really need it. Oh, I love that. You, you, got, you got those road dogs that get in there when it's the greatest show, and you're like, I didn't need you tonight. I needed the, you the night where <laughs> right, everyone was right. staring at us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a super actual nice person and a good person. Uh, you know, sometimes you take people on tour and that you stay at someone's house and someone steals something. You're like, Ugh. what the fuck? Ugh, the worst. So uh, my boy, Chucky Edge, I think he also toured with bands like Have Heart and Verse and nice. maybe Blacklisted. And then he, he was with Terror for two or three years. I'll give him number one. Love it. Sounds like a great guy. Um, he is. All right, so this is this is my last question, something I need to hear from you. So a lot of the logic that you've given me through this interview about hardcore and stuff, you know, some of it's about kind of keeping it real. Some of it's about your presentation. A lot of it's about your live show and stuff like that. Now, like all that being said and how long hardcore has been a thing now, how hard is it? to be and stay original in hardcore now after all this time? That's a tough one. 
Um, I mean, let's go back to Turnstile. I yeah. think they, I think they did something super original. Yeah, yeah. But a- after them, a lot of bands right away. You can say that sounds like Turnstile. So right, it's really hard, and it's I really think, hard. I feel like Modern Life is War did the same thing a little bit. Like all of a Are sudden. They- they appeared and then tons of bands started sounding like them, I thought. Right. I think that's just the unfortunate nature of the beast when something happens semi-original and then gets popular. Yeah. They become the trendsetter and then it's almost like it, it's not so original anymore. Right. Almost the same thing with a merch design or uh, anything you do. Uh, I hate to... Pin, uh, pigeonholed hardcore in such a way, but I think a lot of times someone does something original, everyone jumps on that bandwagon. Mm. And that's not, you know, think about how many Hatebreed comes out with the hardest, most simple breakdowns in the world. How many bands the next year are doing those same exact breakdowns? Right, yeah. You know, and I'm not, uh, I'm not free of guilt in these things. There's definitely major influences on all my bands where I saw something so cool and I was like, I have to do that, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I'll, you know, I just told you earlier that Freddie Madball's like the greatest frontman to me. How many times have I gone on stage and been like, I'm going to be like Freddie Madball tomorrow, right, you know? Right. So, um, yeah. it is pretty hard. And, and, you know, even, um, naming your band, it's fucking hard oh as hell. Brutal. And <laughs> and I, I think a lot of bands now are like, okay, uh, I want to sound like uh, I want to sound like Leeway. Right. So I'm going to name my band Enforcer. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So many bands do that. And yeah, like, yeah. It, it, it gets the job done. It's a cool name. And I'm not you know, dissing anyone that does that. Um, but it is a little bit like taking the easy way out and, um, the soft way out. (laughs) But when, when world be free started, I wanted to name the band after a hot water music song. And Sammy was like, absolutely not. We have to come up with something original and thank God he was again, more creative than me. Because I would have taken the easy way out. What were you going with? What song were you leaning towards? Maybe No Division or something. Okay, something pretty good. Something diff- generic. But something, as soon as you hear it, you know that's a Hot Water Music song. Right, yeah. Hot Water Music song. And him, to him and his brain, that wasn't okay. It needed to be something original. And I totally agree with him, but I'm a, I'm a lazy fuck and he's you know, not... <laughs> I mean, I guess it it goes with any style of music now that you're talking about it, right? It just takes sort of like constant evaluation and reevaluation. And then it takes kind of the the courage to step away from it when you don't know if it's good or not. You know, when there's no basis of reference, it's hard to be original because you don't even know if it's going to be good. You don't know if it's good. You know, you have to have that that confidence in yourself where you know it's good. And that's, that's a lot easier said than done, right? It's very easy to write songs up in the realm of the bands that are popping off at the time. Cause then, you know, at least you're in the right ballpark of what people want. 
But in the end, you're just going to be a D rate to those, uh, the bands that are already doing it. But also the injustice is, let's say that this isn't true, but let's say Turnstile came along with something original and then three bands down the line, someone did it and got way more popular off them off their style, which happens yes, all the time. All the time. Yeah. And, and then you're like, motherfucker, you stole my style and then buried me. Yeah. That's got to suck. Oh, man, there's so much injustice in music. I've seen it <laughs> so many times. Just this band that's just so good that actually has the talented people, has the creative people, has the people who are willing to step out and don't care what people think about their music, but those same exact qualities are the reason they don't become successful. Right. So it's just like, and I think I've seen you talk about that in an interview. And I, I wish that all of this was based on our talent and our creativity and our output, but so much of it is based on discipline. And I know you've mentioned before that, that, you know, discipline sometimes you, you feel can be even more important than music. I'm not sure if I'd go that far, but it's certainly like a huge part of it that I don't think people consider. And without someone like you in a band who's writing Josh Grabell two page letters, you know, and trying to like really hook something up and move something, someone in that band has to have that confidence or all the creativity in the world is just never even going to be heard. Just sad, sad, sad. I think about, you know, Lincoln? You know the band Lincoln? Of course, yeah. I've been listening to them a lot lately, and I'm like, it's such that drummer. Holy shit. (laughs) And, like, just everything about that band. But, like, how many people even know who they are, which is so sad, you know? Yeah, I mean, I know, like, I know a good 12 people who would be really, really excited (laughs) if they came back and never stopped listening to them. But, yeah. But, I mean, that's where I just hope someone really smart named Brian Baker once told me that good songs last. And that's where I really do believe in that. Like, if if you're putting out good output and you just keep going, people will find that stuff, you know? People will dig, and the few people who listen to it will keep listening to it. So I think it's uh, somewhat true. You may just never pay rent from it, you know? (laughs) And that... That Mr. Baker wrote, uh, Can I Say, which is one of the masterpieces of the whole world. Yeah, he, I think he's up there in, on some sort of Mount Rushmore. All right, Scott, we've had you a long time, my friend. <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me. I'm a, a fan of podcasts, and um, I always look at your podcast to see if the guest is, you know, sometimes you guys will have people on that I don't care about I don't even, or don't even know who it is. Sure. Some, sometimes those are the best though. Sometimes I'll listen to a podcast of some band and this goes to show what a closed minded asshole I am. <laughs> It'll be like some band while well, they're like, ah, oh, that band. Blah, blah. And then I'll listen to the podcast. I'm like, that guy's really cool. I could probably hang out with that person. So <laughs> sometimes it works out, but sometimes I look and it's like Chuck Reagan. And I'm like, I need to listen to this immediately. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll keep trying to please you with guests. And I'm glad you could come on, man. After all this time, you know, it's funny. I knew you in 1996, and then we took about, like, 15 years off, and then I knew you again. Um, But it's nice to know you, Scott. I got a lot of respect for you, and and thanks for doing this, man. I've loved your music for a long time. Well, thank you for having me. 
respect to you too. And hopefully I'll see you again sometime in this world. Yeah. Back to Buffalo with you, right? (laughs) Amen. Back Back on the right coast. It'll be nice to have you back, (laughs) man. Just going to have to get some pants. All right. (laughs) No way. You'll like this. I did this whole podcast in my boxers, not even shorts. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Look at that. Bless me. Bless me. Oh, we should have done video. Fuck. Uh, all right. All right, Scott. Thanks, man. Bye bye. Ah, yeah. Hey. I don't know. Flawed logic in my stage diving argument. I know that. But it's because of my own personal experiences. So. So I went to it's, Lollapalooza. It's not, it's not flawed. What's flawed that you can't that you after a certain well, way? I I kind of agree with it. I think there's a there's very few exceptions that could that have the grace to land on a on a, a hundred pound girl. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So that's what happened to me. I mean, uh, mine is not just conjecture that it came I know out of what my happened mind. to you. Three experiences, okay? Uh, okay. I'll, I'll go through them quickly. Lollapalooza 93, Dinosaur Jr. I get a bunch of people to put me up, and within five seconds, I need some girl in the head and was slammed to the ground. And I'm like, well, uh. that kind of sucked. <laughs> then about two years later, I'm at the Trocadero in Philadelphia seeing Sick of It All and Ignite. Ooh, Nice. And I love the during truck. we've talked during about Ignite, actually, not even sick of it all. I go to climb onto the stage. I'm doing okay too. I'm like impressed with myself. Mm-hmm. It took me a couple years to get over it. I'm clawing over people trying to get to the stage. Sort of clumsily land on my arms and knees with my pants halfway down, <laughs> mooning the entire <laughs> Philadelphia audience. <laughs> And then just with great shame, picked myself up, <laughs> picked up my pants and basically just like, like <laughs> fell off the front. You were that was, dude. That's a dude. I there. That's a recurring. That's a recurring character, dude. It shows. You've seen it yeah. before. That guy. So I was him. I as was that his guy. pants fall off as he gets on stage. Oh, shit. Yeah. You so that, that was guy. me. Okay. And then and then many years after that, you know, I, that's when I basically retired. Okay. I was like, all right. Didn't go well the first time. I'm not getting any lighter here. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, I love dancing at shows. I'll stick in the middle here. Yeah. And that's not my game anymore. Right. And and I'll, I'll stay out of that altogether. And then years later, Gaslight's playing a show at the Fest in Gainesville. And it was one of the first shows where, like, mad people came on stage at the end. And there was this big, like, sing-along. And I got excited. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I jump off my stool, go onto the kick drum, and jumped off onto the people. And I think it's cool, right? And I run back and I finish, and I'm like, oh, that went well. About 20 seconds later, we're packing up. Brian's like, thanks for kicking me in the fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. I took a 12 year break. Well, at least, at least it was one of your own, dude. I know. It wasn't yeah, that. the guy knock out my singer's teeth. It wasn't the 100 pound girl in the front row, man. Yeah. So, so that's when I retired. But I, the only thing when he said it's flawed logic is because I have seen some big boys it's move true. with a lot of grace. It shows there used to be a guy who went to New Jersey hardcore shows named Fat Pat. The stories of him are endless. I don't want to get into it. But he's one of those guys, you looked at him, you'd be like, no, 
you know, not going to do it. And then all of a sudden the pit opens up. You're like, the guy's like a swan. He's very (laughs) graceful. You know, he's moving really well. And he's kind of got, I'm like, he could have been like probably like an athlete or something, you know? So maybe it wasn't my size and it was actually my lack of athleticism, which could be it. You know, you're not, you're not a dancer. I'm not a dancer. No, (laughs) I'm certainly not a dancer. So Brad, back to this patreon wikipedia thing what are we doing we have a patreon no (laughs) they're two different things my friend Uh, well oh okay patreon (laughs) is where people can give us money and we can give them a little bit of uh extra bonus material that they're not going to hear here not available publicly um and that would be at patreon.com slash going off track yeah i think we should add more funny stuff on there too all right we shall a chat, oh yeah, maybe a weekly, I a weekly to, powwow I need or something. To figure out the I'm tech for the, for the chat. I think the chat thing is a good idea. Yeah, um, it's kind of chat. That'd be fun. All right, talk to the you guys, people. You, you guys know? want to chat, Pat- patrons? If you're still listening, let us know. Yeah. We'll, tr- we'll us try and hook it up. I think we mentioned that we would be doing something like that. Let's so. Have a weekly chat. We probably. You know, I've should. been listening to this cool science podcast. I have all this fun stuff to talk about, like how leaves change color and stuff. You know? Oh, really? Okay, well, let's do it. Let's talk about it on Patreon. Um, if you want to just throw us a tip, hit us at Venmo at Off Track. Um, we just got a little money recently from somebody who I should have kept her name here. I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, you know, we can always use it. We uh, we do have some expenses, and so far we're not really advertising. Yeah. Which, and whoever talks shit to Brad on Patreon about not saying enough, <laughs> it clearly didn't work because Brad didn't say anything. Oh, uh, a little tired. These night these night shows, man. Um, anyway, you want to check out the socials of our guest? He is I am finally on Instagram um, and Terror Hardcore for Instagram and Twitter. Um, and you can check out Terror on Facebook as well. And of course, you know where we are going off track. Instagram, yeah. Twitter, and uh, yeah, that's about it. And you, know, and you know what I'm hoping a little from this one is like, like I don't know if some of the people who listen to this show love hardcore or not, but there is like something to it that people should understand. I think there's a misconception about heavy music and the fact that like it doesn't come from the right place or it's not creative or it's not artistic, and I couldn't deny that more. And I hope people go back and listen to the terror catalog and get into it and listen to Scott's old music because there's so much there to take from and so many good tunes and so much good feeling inside of it. You know, it's a good place for a lot of people. It's funny you say that because like I, I mean, I used to be pretty into hardcore when I was much younger and, you know, kind of got to a place, you know, there was just one, you know, it's, it happened to a lot of people, I think, where you just went to one show too many, where somebody, just too many fucking fights or whatever. You know, so I stopped going to shows, but I I, I was recently thinking that, like, I'd like to make a, like a Spotify playlist of, like, hardcore for non-hardcore fans, you know, where you go uh, through. It's yeah. a good idea. And, like, kind of a, you know, like, because there's some. Like there's some great anthems, there's some really catchy songs, and then there's some fucking super on point, yeah, lyrical songs that like you know. So I think I, I've always meant to kind of to do that, but um, 
maybe maybe I will. Yeah, I mean, I know it's like one of those classic cliches, but like getting into hardcore when I got into hardcore and Scott's story really rung with me because it's honestly pretty similar to what was happening for me. And, you know, there is something about, you know, it's something I wanted to talk about Scott with. Maybe we can get him at another time is like a lot of people are attracted to it for the violence. Right. You know, there's something about the the music with the physical aggression meets the community of a lot of people who are feeling weird, but like ethically, they don't really pick up on it. Morally, they don't really pick up on it. And there's a whole nother side to hardcore that literally saves fucking kids lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm one of them, you know? And the one thing I respect about it that we talked about early is like, it gave me a certain kind of power. Like I didn't have before. And it wasn't just this, like, oh, I found music. It was this concept that, like, all these people are, like, depressed and sad and frustrated like me. But they're all still, like, motivated and disciplined and, like, forward-thinking people. Right. You know? Like, they weren't sitting back in their own holes. Right. They were taking this pain and this sadness and turning it into like their own personal aggression right. and their own outlet. And there was something about that and still does. It still really speaks to me. Oh, I yeah. could listen to a 19 year old kid talk about the same shit I was listening to 25 years ago. And I'm still like, yo, fuck yeah, bro. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it was, it's teenage therapy, you know? But, and I found all you little punk rockers in your leather pants. You, you were the ones that freaked me out. <laughs> I was like, no, no, I'm not going to give you 75 cents for your 40. Get a fucking job. (laughs) Hardcore kids had jobs. You little punk rockers were just begging for change. All right. I'm going to (laughs) go. I'm going to go get a beer and some pasta and throw on my old leather pants. (laughs) I'm going to get my leather pants on in case I spill some food. Are they in the closet? Like leather pants? I don't have leather pants. You have the option right now to go in your closet and put on like the leather pants and some great old silk shirt you had. I do not have that option. (laughs) I'll see what I can come up with though for you. How's that? All right. Let me know. Yeah. Hit me up with photo later. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for listening and supporting the program. Uh, I hope you enjoyed Scott. Yeah. And we'll uh we'll see you next week. Thanks, Scott, for doing this. You're the best. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.